The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. For the next half hour, you'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Geologist and newsletter writer Mickey Fult from mercenarygeologist.com joins us now. Mickey has over 30 years experience as an exploration geologist, searching for economic deposits of base and precious metals, industrial minerals, coal, uranium, oil and gas, and water in North and South America, Europe, and Asia. He's worked for junior explorers, major mining companies, private companies, and investors as a consulting economic geologist for the past 22 years. Mickey is well known throughout the mining and exploration community for his ongoing work as an analyst, newsletter writer, and speaker. Mickey, it's been a very long time. Nice to have you back. Welcome to the program. Ellis, it has been way too long, and I welcome the opportunity to speak with you again. Last time we spoke, it was six months ago in February, and uh, wow! here's a loaded question for you. How has the resource sector contracted in the last six months? Well, it's contracted drastically. I don't have data in front of me for the last six months, Ellis, but I will tell you this. I was on a panel in Chicago at the end of April, and at that time, the Toronto Venture Index, which I consider the best proxy for the sector, closed on Friday at 1427. Today, we are at 1180. So do the math, and I'm doing this in my head. That's something on the order of 25% drop, something like that. So it's getting worse. We expected that because we were facing at that time the sell and may go away adage, which came about. Then we had ongoing euro problems, which, uh, again, it looks to me like every May, Greece becomes a, a problem and a focus. It's happened the last three Mays, and now we're in the summer doldrums. So, you know, I sat on a panel with some people that apparently are permables in this business, media, newsletter writers, etc., and at that time they were saying, the bottom's in, it's got to get better, and I was kind of the contrarian view on this panel, and I go, what are the catalysts that are going to make it better? And, you know, people have vested interests. They talk their own book, and sometimes that comes back to bite them, in my opinion. There's no doubt, Ellis, we all talk our own book. You know, I do interviews, and I talk my book. But I think at some point you have to sit back and look at market fundamentals and be realistic about where are the market's going and what you see and I think some people in this business, are their views are colored by their need to keep listeners, their need to keep subscribers. And I disagree with those sorts of uh, manipulations of what appears to me at this point to be a bear market that has no reason to get better, no catalyst upcoming until... Labor Day, and we hope that Labor Day becomes a catalyst when everyone comes back to work. So you don't think the bottom's in? I'm not saying the bottom isn't in right now. I'm hoping that we've seen the bottom or we will see the bottom in the next 
month or so, and there is a catalyst on the horizon, and I've been saying this since April or May, the catalyst on the horizon is Labor Day, because we are always faced with the summer doldrums, and we're in the middle of that right now. I dare say if you call a broker or institutional fund manager or a professional investor in London, New York, Toronto, or Vancouver, or a CEO of a company, chances are that half of those people are unavailable right now because they're on vacation. Vacation. I was just thinking the same thing. And you and I are working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I suspect you're about the same as, as I am. We're workaholics and we don't know anything else to do, so... And we've got to stay busy and uh, involved and interested. So, you know, I work hard and I play hard, but I'm always busy. Well, that you are. And we've got a lot of things to talk about. We have something that's very topical today. Some mayhem seems to have been going on in the rare earth, rare metals market. Let's talk about that. What do you think triggered it? Well, we've had a mini flash crash this morning. That's what Forbes has called it. And I've been glued to the business TV, one network or the other. I've flipped from one to the other to the other all morning long. But I got up this morning and one of my brokers had emailed me that Rare Element Resources had crashed. And he did not know why. And then I started ferreting around and I saw that Mollycorp had crashed and Albany Minerals had crashed. And these three stocks are, of course, of interest. And I hold a couple of those stocks. They're of interest in the junior resource sector because of the rare earth element bubble. And Molly Corp's the 800-pound gorilla on the block. And REE, Rare Element Resources, is one of the leaders in the field. And then Albany is a prospect generator with a significant gold discovery in Mexico. And they've been kind of a high-flying stock up and down, of course, over the last couple of years, but they've made a major discovery in Mexico. So something was going on, and as as it comes out, there's a trader in New York, so-called dark pool trader, that is a market maker for many stocks, and they had some sort of trading glitch this morning. So the volumes have been extraordinary. Almaden at this point, we're talking mid-morning mountain time. So, you know, the day in New York is what? Something on the order of 60% done right now. Almaden's traded over 4 million shares in New York. Rare Elements traded well over 6 million. Mollycorp's 7.5 million or something right now as we speak. So it appears that there has been a trading glitch. SEC is investigating. And we'll see what happens here. But all these stocks, for the most part, hit the three I'm talking about, hit 52-week lows. But on the other side, there were some other stocks on the New York exchange that hit all-time highs. The three we're talking about, geez, there were some incredible buying opportunities this morning. We'll see if these trades are allowed to stand. But they've all recovered significantly, although still all down for the day on tremendous volumes. In your memory, has a flash crash had any long-term effect on the resource sector? We're not going to know for a couple of days yet, though, I suppose. The only flash crash, that term came up, if memory serves, from a couple of years ago, a trading glitch in May that essentially shut the exchange down for the better part of an afternoon, if memory serves. There was no long-term effect one way or the other on that. Stocks rebounded and found the level that the market says they are worth, but it did initiate at that point a mini panic in major markets worldwide. Again, if memory serves, that was in mid-May of 2010, and that kind of 
initiated a mini panic that went on for something on the order of a month because right after that we had another Greek crisis. So I would not expect this to have any long-term effect any stocks for the most part other than the fact that they've gotten knocked down or pumped up they will find their market but it could lead to uneasiness in the market that this could happen once again it appears it's a trading glitch only at one trading house and it's not endemic to the whole market but uh, I had a CEO of one of these companies call me I emailed the CEOs of these companies that I hold and earlier this morning before the news came out about what really happened and and he got back to me and said, you know, it's really a good thing. I was at my desk at 6.30 this morning when market opened in Vancouver because I had institutions calling me wanting to know if there was anything going on with their stock. And they were about ready to push the sell button on this panic selling. So these sorts of things, who knows if they're market manipulation or what they are. The SEC is investigating. And Knight Capital, I'm looking at screen right now, is down 20% on the day. So these things are serious. I'm sure the conspiracy theorists will scream market manipulation, but maybe it's just another fat thumb. Who knows? Who benefits from a market manipulation in rare earths and rare metals? The shorts in this case would have benefited this morning. So at first I thought, is this a coordinated short attack on a couple of rare earth element companies, specifically Molly Corp and Rare Element Resources. And then I found out that Almaden had also gotten hit, and that's a gold company, a prospect generator, a hybrid prospect generator with a major discovery. So at that point, I logically concluded it was not a coordinated short attack. But there's lots of shorts on all these rare earth element stocks, and it's sometimes those shorts win, and sometimes they lose big time. As a subscriber to the mercenarygeologist.com, um, what am I supposed to do now? Sit back, look, observe. Man, there was a couple of really nice buying opportunities this morning with both Rare Element Resource. Well, all three of those stocks were screaming buying opportunities, and that's obvious because how quickly they rebounded from their lows. They spiked down, and they immediately came halfway back up. So you could tell people were pouring in to buy these stocks, and maybe it was a stink bid phenomena. Unfortunately, I didn't have any stink bids put in on any of these things, and I kind of missed them this morning. But, uh, you know, even if markets are manipulated, and we all know that they are, then our task is to figure out ways to exploit that manipulation. Which is what we spoke about in February. You like volatility. I love volatility. Those are buying and selling opportunities. So volatility, it's all good for me. So Embrace it. What do you see for rare earths and rare metals in the long term? Well, the bubbles burst. It leaked for a while. I'm convinced now it's burst. Now, that doesn't mean that there's still not six or eight or ten viable companies out there. There certainly are. Maybe I would probably cut that down to five or less right now. Some people will say ten. I would not argue vehemently about that, but we've paired all the pretenders are hanging on or they've changed their business plans or they've morphed from uranium companies to rare earth companies to silver explorers in Mexico or from gas companies to uranium companies to rare earth companies to graphite companies. Who knows? But the contenders are still in play. They are relatively low-valued right now. Savvy investors might consider adding some positions. You know, we've talked 
before about the cream of the crop in this space. Those companies that I promulgated as the cream of the crop two and three years ago are still the cream of the crop. So it's very predictable in these bubbles that there are a few companies that will succeed or have good chances of succeeding, and then there's the rest. There's the sheep that followed everybody else over the cliff, and the smart ones are still standing on top. So where the sector's going exactly is hard to predict. I wouldn't even venture to say what valuations will be a year from now, but certainly the major players that succeed in their business plans will be the ones that you want to own and hang on to and become long-term plays. That said, you should always take profits on the upticks. And anybody that's played this sector for the last two or three years had plenty of opportunities to make a lot of money. You know, I've taken significant amounts of my positions off the table and all the stocks I own in the sector and taken good profits. And I'm still have significant shareholdings in three of the so-called cream of the crop, and I have target prices to sell pieces of those in tranches on the uptick, and I will continue doing that and hope to keep a core position for the ultimate success. You don't sound like you've gotten hurt this past year. Oh, I've been hurt tremendously. Go look at the venture exchange and my net worth in this sector. My net assets are probably no better or no worse than the Toronto Venture Index. Maybe a little better because I'm a trader, so I take profits when I see the opportunities. But yeah, I've gotten hurt, but I'm in this for the long haul. This is my job. I'm basically a professional investor, and this is the way I make money is in the market, other than, you know, the sponsors of my newsletter makes a real really nice upper middle class living for me. But I'm a player and I kind of look at the long term. I am a secular bull on commodities and I think the corollary of that is that no matter what happens in the junior stocks, there will be rebounds and dips and being a secular bull on commodities, I'm probably a secular bull in the junior resource sector for the most part. So keep on keeping on and trade smartly and intelligently and without emotion. I don't get up or down in this market any day. I just look at opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, what's going on in India with a massive power outage affecting 670 million people, about half their population with an antiquated electrical grid? Do you think this bodes well for uranium? Well, India is one of the front runners in nuclear energy space. They have plans on the books. They are in construction of reactors. They've realized, rightly so in my opinion, that nuclear is the future of the power source. It's the cleanest source we have. It is arguably the safest source we have. I didn't see any people dying at Fukushima. And so India has made a commitment in the long term, 2020, 2030, etc., to become a nuclear energy power in the world. And so when we see these sorts of brownouts and power outages and realize that a significant part of the Indian population, I don't have those numbers in front of me right now, can't turn on the lights at night. So they live in the dark. When the sun goes down, it gets dark. They go to bed and go to sleep, and they get up in the morning when the sun rises. And there's a, still a significant part of the world, 25% of the world still does that. So it bodes well for not only nuclear, it bodes well for copper because there needs to be copper wires and infrastructure built to get a significant part of the world population wired for electricity 
it is my view that nuclear is the obvious choice, will be the obvious choice to supply most of the future energy needs, the growth in energy needs in China and India and Africa and various parts of the world without electricity. So uranium, in your opinion, based on what you've just stated, is a worthy long-term investment, and copper is probably very undervalued as well. Well, I don't know if they're undervalued. Uh, Certainly, uranium is undervalued right now with its spot price because the spot price of more or less $50 does not support new mine build-out. Very few deposits that we know that have reserves right now and are pending development can make money at $50 uranium. They require something in the order of $75 to $80 uranium. So that bodes well for the uranium price. Copper is a much shorter term view on copper because it's Dr. Copper. It's got a PhD in economics. It most reliably reflects the industrial and world economic health on a short-term basis. So we're seeing copper prices as we speak somewhere around $3.40 a pound. I'm very comfortable with that. Good copper producers are going to be making money anywhere near north of $3 a pound. But by the same token, we are using a Bingham Canyon of copper every year. We are not replacing reserves in the world fast enough. So we're looking at, in the mid to long term, a looming shortage is a copper. And part of the problem in the copper business and the uranium business is infrastructure build-out is very expensive, multi-billions of dollars to build uh, a nuclear power plant to develop a significant uranium mine. We're probably talking a billion dollars plus or minus to build a significant copper porphyry mine, we're talking on the order of 3 to $6 billion at this point. So we need capital in these industries. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to build new electrical wires or supply electricity to a growing population that is aware that most of the people in the world can turn on a light switch at night and get light And the 25% of the world that can't do that right now wants that. So contrary to what you stated in a news article in May, perhaps copper stocks don't suck like gold stocks do. (laughs) Yeah, well, I said gold stocks suck, and I don't think I ever said copper stocks suck at that point. And the gold stocks suck was really the reasons for the bearish market in Toronto Venture Gold Explorers, in particularly Advanced Gold Explorers, uh, juniors as a whole, and this would include the entire sector, not gold stocks, they've underperformed. They've overpromised and underdelivered, and I think the average retail investor has gotten a little bit fed up with this phenomena that goes on in our industry, the promotions and the promises that are not kept or pushed out to the future. And in addition, we have this very much risk-off and aversion to risk, and we're dealing with venture capital companies in this sector. So a lot of it has to do, the low liquidity has to do with people are confused by the major markets. They're reticent to take risk, and therefore they are not making any money because they don't have any place to put their money that's going to really make a return on investment, and they don't want to take on any risk at this point. They've walked away from the sector. Absolutely. Now, I know you're an investor, and that's how primarily you make your living, but you're also a geologist. It seems that in the last couple of years that every time we've visited, you've either just come back from a big trip or are about to make one. Looking at properties on behalf of companies that you consult for or just for your own benefit, have you been making any trips? 
Well, I've not made many trips. I'm actually off on another little venture and corollary to my business, a media opportunity right now. But I am going on the road very soon. I'm doing a a four-country tour of Europe, look at four projects over the course of a couple of weeks, and very much looking forward to that, a couple of countries I've never been in before. And so I'm going to look at some what appear to be robust properties held by three companies I currently cover, but I'm also going to venture to a new country and look at a a gold play with the idea that maybe this company is the next one I cover. Let's talk about your website. How do we follow you? I run two websites, mercenarygeologist.com, and then for bilingual speakers, I run mercenarygeologist.asia, which is a pared-down version in simplified Chinese. I'm also on the radio now, or internet radio, I should say, 24 and 7 with streaming audio at mercenarygeologist.fm. And this interview will be posted into the rotation there. Basically, we cover interviews done the last six weeks or two months on a weighted average sort of thing. So you can sit and listen and hear a bunch of interviews one after the other. And, of course, I run a free subscription-based service. I run a sponsorship model. So for subscribers, free email subscribers, it's all available at the minute that it's posted. Mickey, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. I promise it's not going to be another six months. Probably next week we'll speak again after we see how this all shakes out. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. It's always a pleasure, and I welcome a a regular rotation in your radio show, Ellis. I've been speaking with the mercenary geologist, Mickey Fulp. Find Mickey at mercenarygeologist.com and listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back with you. I'm kind of excited because you and I have been talking off the air, more or less, as we do from time to time, and I'm a subscriber to The Morgan Report, and I've somehow gotten it into my head that you found a public company that is actually going to be paying a dividend in gold and silver. Now, I don't have any idea what that really means. I can speculate, but I'm going to let you explain it. When are you going to tell us who that company is? Well, it's the August issue of the Morgan Report, and I put the report out the first Monday of every month. So a lot of people think it comes out on the 1st, but it doesn't. It comes out on the first Monday, which in this case would be August 6th. So as we're doing the show, it's about a week away or you know, four or five days. The... Um, the reason I do that, by the way, is I try to give everyone an equal chance. It's our subscriber base is global, absolutely. Over the weekend, if you put it out on like a Saturday and they have Saturday and Sunday to read it, then wherever the market opens in any given part of the planet, you have the opportunity to purchase a new recommendation. But in this case, since I have the report done early, I'm going to go ahead and publish early. So it'll probably be published on the 1st or 2nd of August. But I just want to make that clear. The question you asked about the dividends, it's actually paid in metal 
your choice, gold and silver. It's a growth company. It's got high grade, basically everything we look for. And first of all, you gave me credit for finding it, but really one of our research team found it. I don't like to overhype things. I'm sure people have different opinions of me, and that's fine. But we really look for value. We always have looked for value. It's extremely difficult to find value in a junior mining company because so many of them are just looking for a given resource or resources. But every now and then, you find a situation like this, and certainly it's not guaranteed, but there's so many things that line up. They have the goods, they have the high grade, they have the management team, they have the funds, and they've got an attitude that I think is investor-friendly. And Ellis, allow me to digress just a moment. This is one of the things that's kind of close to my heart, but I've been investing since I was 16 years old. And when I learned about investors' business daily, I was really impressed, because I've been reading the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and Forbes magazine and all these mainstream publications. But here was this guy, William O'Neill, that devoted his entire publication to the investor. And that's kind of the idea that this company has toward their shareholders. It's like, you know, you are a stakeholder in our company, and because of that, you're going to get the benefits of being a shareholder. I'd say there's a, several companies out there that don't quite have that kind of an attitude. Now, this is my take. This is my view. It's my opinion. But... I really, really like this company, and I probably am overhyping it. But it'll be available to our members around the 1st or 2nd of August. And then, you know, maybe, Ellis, you'd like to follow up with Chris and, and interview more about the company in a later date and get some more particulars. But it's, uh, again, a unique situation that a lot of our people, our members, have asked me about over the years. It's like, you know, I like the metals, I like the mining sector, but really I need income and, you know, how do I get it? And some of the bigger companies like Newmont are paying pretty good dividends. Newmont has a unique situation as well where they're paying greater and greater dividends based on the price of gold. So as gold's price increases, the dividend payout to the shareholders increases, which is kind of cool. But this one is going to have an increase in payment due to the cash flow of the company, which will be increasing over the next several years, and of course you believe what I believe, that the price or value of the precious metals will continue to rise over time. You're getting more metal and higher purchasing power at the same time, which I really can't think of a better income opportunity in a company ever. I mean, this is something that we really haven't run across. I think you were just referring to Chris Marchese, a recent member of your research team, correct? That's correct, yes. He's been with us for actually quite some time. And, you know, facts are facts. I mean, the fact is we've actually made some picks in this really trying time frame where these companies continue to go down and down and down. And we've had a couple here within the last several months that have actually gone up. We had one that went up about 80% from the time we recommended to its recent highs backed off now. During these trying times, and to be able to do that, I'd say speaks volumes. I mean, this is something that's tough to do. I mean, it's hard to find a winner that does that kind of a gain in a, a downtrending market, but it can be done. Do we do it on every stock? No. Are we down overall? Yeah, a lot of our recommendations are down from where they were at the top of the market in April of last year. But again, we've been telling our people all along that you know we see this market flattening out, bottoming, be patient. Where are you going to go? I'm going to steal something from Doug Casey, but as Doug says, you know, I really don't like recommending gold above, you know, 1,500 the ounce or, you know, silver above 25. These are Doug's words, and I'm picking the numbers arbitrarily, but the idea is, you know, it's harder to recommend gold at these prices, but what are you going to recommend? You know, you want to go in the housing market? How about the bond market, you know? How about buying a banking stock? I mean, really, where are you going to go? And that's the point. You don't have a precious metals exposure. You should get one regardless of the price. 
And if you do and you build a good position, then maybe you don't need to add to it. Maybe you just need to do a little pruning of your portfolio, take out some of the dogs and put in some you know, better companies. I'll leave it at that. What does it take for David Morgan or Chris Marchese to pick a winner? And what is a winner in this market? Well, again, it goes back to value. And, of course, there's no guarantees in investing or in life in general, but you know, we try to line up as much as we can. We're both very favorable to grade as king. We really like high grades over low grades, not that we don't have some situations in the portfolio that are disseminated in very large volumes and not really that high grade. You have to look at everything in this business on a case-by-case basis, so you can't make a general statement like I just made and be use it applied 100% of the time. But we really look for undervalued situations that have strong management and then do our due diligence. Chris does most of the number crunching where you look at the net present value, what the cash flow will be in the future. We're very conservative on that, by the way, because, again, things usually you know can go wrong. And in the mining business, they usually do for the time frame. And then you got to spread out. You can't just be in all in Mexico. I mean, there's a lot of great silver companies in Mexico. We have several of them on our list. But nonetheless, you don't want overexposure in any one country in today's climate because of that. In fact, in this August issue, another contributor, in fact, longer than Chris has been with the Morgan Report, David Smith, wrote a great piece about Canada and some of the undervalued mining companies in Canada and why that's probably one of the safer jurisdictions. So every month we basically start with a clean sheet of paper and say, you know, what can we do to maximize the benefit to our members that pay us? And we always have that attitude here at the Morgan Going back to an earlier part of this discussion, is it easier for a company to pay a dividend in precious metals, either gold or silver? And is that something I have to worry about as a tax liability? Well, I don't speak to the tax situation because I really don't know. It's my understanding. It depends on your jurisdiction more than anything else. But no, it's much more cumbersome. Frankly, it's kind of a pain. But companies that are willing to go to any length to do that for the benefit of their shareholders, because you have an option, too. So, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you can do it in cash or you know, type of thing. But it's a great benefit to the shareholders if they elect to do it. So, no, it's not easy. But is it worth it? I think it's worth it. We'll be right back. The Yellow Smarten Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. Silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral-prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp.'s 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website eltigresilvercorp.com or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, LSMart martinreport.com we offer expert opinions only find them on our website ellismartinreport.com that's ellismartinreport.com many of these junior mining companies are really struggling in this market to get what they typically rely on financing whether it's flow-through financing or money to run their business run their operations run their office it's almost extremely difficult to raise money unless they have some game-changing news. Well, I agree. In fact, I mentioned that in this latest issue that 
I basically made an error in judgment. I thought uh, a while back that the worst was over for financing mining companies in general. And oh, I guess I was partially correct. I mean, just coming back from Hong Kong recently, if you have an intermediate company that's producing and wants to accelerate its growth curve and needs to have a capital injection, there's plenty of money in Hong Kong and in Asia that will come in and they're basically looking at absolute solid deals that are almost guaranteed that they can infuse with capital and get like an internal rate of return of you know 10% or greater. So those kind of companies don't have too much trouble finding the financing, but the terms are not that favorable. In other words, some of these Hong Kong companies that are willing to pour sizable amounts of capital into a mining concern are looking for a really good rate of return. And so it might not be advantageous to the company. In other words, they're giving up too much to get that capital. On the part that you're alluding to, which is the more smaller companies that basically are just gasping for air because they're almost out of money, it's really gotten tough. And I see a couple things happening. One, I see some of them just having to close shop, uh, like we saw after the 2008 financial crisis, and also what happened during that time frame, which is companies that have really good assets being cherry-picked by larger companies that have cash. And we have one on our list that it's down quite a bit. Management isn't probably the strongest I've seen, but the project is in a great location. It's historically huge silver belt. It's got the goods. I mean, everything about it is right there. The asset's sitting there. This company by itself probably will never develop it fully. So I looked at it as a takeover candidate, and they needed to do a financing to keep alive and put out a financing, and it didn't get subscribed very well, which surprised me because, as I said earlier, I thought that the worst was over for some of these companies at least those that had, I thought, real merit to them value-wise. And proven wrong. You know, all you can do is your best. I do that, but nonetheless, uh, it's tough. And it's getting tougher. I think this deflationary mentality has taken over, not only the mining industry, but the economy in general. And there's a lot to be said for that. It's not a true deflationist. I see deflation, everything is deflating relative to gold. But the point being that it is hard. And I guess I've belabored the point a lot there, Ellis. But I would not want to be a junior mining company that has just enough in the treasury to keep my operation going for six months at this point in time. I'd be very, very concerned if that were the case. If there are potential takeout candidates that are out there that we may become aware of or listener becomes aware of, and the company has no choice but to go that route, that takeout route, wouldn't that be a potential speculative buy? Well, it is, but yeah, it's very risky, though, because, you know, the one I'm referring to is on the list. It's down quite a bit. In fact, one of our members asked me about it. Since I can't give individual advice, I answered it in the report for everybody's benefit. And I basically said, look, this thing's down a lot more than I ever thought it would be. If you are going to do what I teach, which is bet a little to win a lot and only put money into it that you can afford to lose, I still think it's a good takeout candidate, especially at this price. It's a lot lower than we put it on the list. So, yeah, that exists, but am I right or wrong? I don't know. I honestly don't. So those are really, really tough calls. And some of these companies that, you know, I thought would be taken out have been, but not in the time frame that I thought. And usually I don't put a time frame on these takeout candidates, I have way too much experience in this industry to try to second-guess that. Nonetheless, yeah, I mean, obviously, well, let's just do one real quick. Hecla Mining, over by me here near the Silver Valley, I'm about two hours from there, is taking over U.S. Silver. And it was at a 140 price. I think their takeover bid's 180. So if you were in that company at a buck or buck 20 or buck 40, 
and you get a pretty good premium, you'd probably be fairly happy, but U.S. Silver isn't happy. They're saying, you know, we want to reject this bid. We are urging our shareholders to not accept this offer. You know, it's not enough. And I'd say from their perspective, the, it's a good point. So, you know, a lot of these takeovers, it depends when you get in. I mean, this one I keep referring to that was on our list, I doubt highly that that thing would be taken over at the price we first put it on there because it's like, I don't know, five times higher than it is right now. I mean, it's so dirt cheap now. But that doesn't mean it won't go out of business. You know, and this is, again, why you put in money, only money that you can afford to lose, because these things are just too darn risky to do anything more with it. And, of course, no matter how many times I say that, no matter what I say in the disclaimer, no matter what I say in the report, no matter what, there's always those few people that, you know, fall in love with the story stock, and the story's so great, and so they overload on it, and then, you know, they're upset with me or upset with the company or upset with themselves or all three and it's part of the business a lot of people in the newsletter business really stress the penny stocks of these juniors and i really don't i had been through that in my 20s and i saw the amount of money that i lost trying to pick these long shots certainly we speculate certainly spend more time in the junior area than we do writing about them because it's so difficult and i just like to make money easily and not that it's that easy to do but it's a lot easier in the mid-tier growth section which we focused on over the last couple of years and then use those winnings i mean you can write options on a big company like silver wheaton as an example if you have a fairly good sized portfolio you can make depending on how much i'm just using an example thousand two thousand three thousand a year writing options pretty conservatively you could take that three thousand that you made by renting your stock periodically and recycle that same money into some juniors. Now you've done it for very little risk. And that's the way I do it. I mean, I've been investing again for a very long time. I'm always learning more. I don't like risk, and this is a high-risk business. So if I can mitigate the risk in any way, another thing we do very, very often is a free trade. Uh, Let's say this one I keep talking about that went south, not north. Let's say we put it on there and things were better and it went from uh, 50 cents to a buck. Almost in every case, I say sell half and ride the rest for free. And this gives people basically zero risk because they've taken their initial capital out of the market. And if this company goes from 50 cents to five bucks, they enjoy that for basically no risk. There's lots of ways to invest, but you have to be almost mechanical in the approach and not emotional. And of course, the whole market is driven on emotion, not just the mining stocks, but the general equity markets. But that's, again, one of the things that I've done over the years. A couple of the better investors out there do that. Chris Weber, who uh, is one of the better newsletter writers, in my opinion. We trade with each other. He's been a big silver bull for a long time. He looks at other things, too. He's very, very good. He uses the same approach. If you can get your money out initially, take it out. Get out and ride the rest for free. Do a free trade. It's a great way to invest. How can you not buy a stock on emotion, David? I know it's not the right thing to do, but pretty much everybody does it. You get excited about a story. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and buy that. But that's okay as long as you've backed it up with research, right? I think so. I mean, look, anyone that's ever seen me in person and seen my passion from the stage knows that I carry a lot of emotion, and I'm not ashamed of that. And I'm excited about this particular company. But what I do do is balance it out because probably of experience. You know, as good as this story is that we're talking about right now, it's not something that I'm going to, like, dump three or four of my juniors and put all of that money into this one. Even though, you know, that may prove to be a good move, I just rather play it safe and say, you know what, I could be wrong on this one. I'm going to put this much money in it. So even though I can get excited about it, 
I still have to use my logic, and I have to say, you know what, follow your own rules. And your own rules is bet a little, win a lot, let it prove out. And one last statement on that that people that have been with me a long time know is sometimes a situation like we're talking about turns into a better company. The best way to invest in any company is when it hits what I call the sweet spot of the growth curve. And I could show that on a chart easier and I could do it on the radio, but you really want to get into growth acceleration phase. Well, for a mining company as a junior resource company, it could be, you know, stock goes from 10 cents to 50 cents and builds a base between 50 cents and a buck. And then they make a huge discovery or something, the stock goes from a buck to 10. Well, really, you're better off buying that stock at that dollar phase when all the news is out and it goes back and forth for a few weeks before the market wakes up and says, oh my goodness, this thing is real, it's really going to go. And make that 10-bagger within a you know three-month time frame than it was waiting three years for it to get from 50 cents to a dollar or something. So what I'm saying, and I'll continue, is that sometimes you're better off just waiting until it gets into that sweet spot range and investing. Also, that's when you make your initial purchase. So at times, we've had companies that were on the junior list that became growth stories, and we did add to them. In other words, it was basically a different company because of the dynamics of the company. So a quick example was Western Copper. I had Western Copper on the list, I think, in under a dollar, and that changed to Western Silver. It was bought out by Glamis. It was bought out by Gold Corp. So that company was from like a rank speculation into the growth part of the portfolio because as it was drilled out and more was discovered, it became a huge story. So huge is, again, two of the majors ended up buying out the deposits now owned by Gold Corp. And a lot of the silver revenues that goes to the bottom line of Gold Corp is from the old Western Copper property. So that's an example of where I'm comfortable moving the company out of the speculative category into the growth categories. How does one follow you, David, and subscribe to The Morgan Report? I think the easiest way, it seems the most momentum I have right now is on our YouTube channel. I think everyone knows YouTube.com. Type in Silver Guru or David Morgan Silver, and you'll find our channel. And most of the interviews like this, I try to get on our YouTube channel now so that people that want to follow us for free, that's fine. Also, go to the website, themorganreport.com. It's all one word, themorganreport.com. You can get our free weekly email update, and we usually take a question a week from either a paid member or a non-paid free email person. And we also make offers on that. And to subscribe, the um, subscription base is based on three levels of service, uh, basic and intermediate and advanced. All of that's described on the right-hand side of the website, so if you're interested, you can get to the website and take a look. David, as always, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure's been all mine else. Thank you. I've been speaking with the silver guru, David Morgan of themorganreport.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp., trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada.
Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Welcome back to the program, Dudley. Good to be here, Ellis. It's been about a week since we've spoken last on the air. As usual, there's the typical vacillation with gold. It's down 20 from then. As usual, there's the typical vacillation with gold. It's down 20 from then now, close to 1600 after coming up 15. Putting that aside, what kind of strategy should we look to next time gold makes a significant rally? We sure need to get up beyond the 1640, 1650 to, to say that it's clear sailing. And right now, the, the gold market is just totally locked into all the news that comes out here in the state. Not here in the states. I'm sitting in Mexico. You can hear the chickens. Are killing roosters over there, Dudley? Do you live next to a slaughterhouse or, or what? The listeners probably think, Dudley, you got chickens? What? I mean, is it life that bad? But it's like there are my neighbors that are very close, and it's like, they're all going crazy right now as we speak. Unfortunately, I can't time this. On the jobs report in the States today, yeah, I mean, gold plunged, and then came right back up, and now we're up, you know, like 17 or so. We're back to 1605. Gold is just being held captive to all the news, and then we get news out of Europe and yada, yada, yada. You know, one thing I want to share with you that we haven't talked about in quite some time is the U.S. dollar, you know, how this impacts the whole situation. And I'm going to defer here to our friends over at Casey Research, and one of their publications just got a couple of days ago here at the first of the month. They've got a wonderful chart of gold versus the U.S. dollar and the euro. I'm looking at this on the screen as we speak here. When we hear the dollar is strong, well, the dollar is strong, what the hell does that mean? The dollar is strong basically just relative to the euro. So with everything going on over there in Europe, the euro has really been selling off. Consequently, the U.S. dollar stronger. You know, we're still here in this 82, 83 range on the U.S. dollar index. And of course, the U.S. dollar index, what the hell is this? The U.S. dollar index is just a composite of several of the currencies. And so the euro comprises 57.6% of the U.S. dollar index. So euro goes down, U.S. dollar goes up. But what do we got? All of the currencies are all fiat currencies backed by nothing. So, what our friends at Casey's got is this beautiful chart of gold versus the U.S. dollar and the euro. Gold is just greatly outperforming everything. I mean, gold being, quote, a currency itself, you know, if we get to that point. For anybody that was, say, lacking full faith in this bull market, you know, losing faith, confidence, whatever, which is easy to do in this market environment that we've been in. Think about this, the U.S. dollar and gold, and I mean, which one do you really want to hold longer term? And going back for years here, this just will blow you away on to see a chart of gold versus the U.S. dollar and the euro. Just something to think about. Well, Doug Casey is all about the euro crashing. Is that really going to happen? It's sure beyond me to know if it's going to happen, but it sure seems highly possible. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, how in the world they keep that whole euro zone together is going to be beyond any of us. I, I think so many investors, whether you're in the resource sector or not, it's just a, let's call it a fear, is that the whole friggin' world may just melt down here soon. 
But that currency has been in play about 12 years now. I don't see it going away, and the Germans heading back to the mark, or the French to the franc, or, or again down the line. At some point, shouldn't this drive the price of gold up? At some point, yeah, you're right. There has to be uh, some degree of stability or whatever there. But let's face it, if the Eurozone starts to get their act together and comes up with a viable plan, the Euro strengthens, well now, obviously the U.S. dollar is going down at this point, which thus becomes bullish for gold. You all meet yourself coming and going here. What I like to think is that we remember back, I want to—I didn't bring this up before we started talking here, but to look at a long-term chart on the U.S. dollar, you know, back when it was actually up at 90 and at 1, where the dollar index right now is sitting in the 82 range, 82 to 83 range uh, as we speak. And basically, it's just been such a downhill slide for decades. And now we are just, you might say, a few ticks in, in the bigger picture. Maybe we went down to 76 or to 78 on the dollar index, and now we're at 82, 83, and everybody talks about the strength of the U.S. dollar. Well, holy crap. Again, strength relative to what? Basically relative to the euro, another piece of paper that is backed by nothing. It does seem like some series of events are going to happen that the U.S. dollar is going to head back down south, and it won't take much for the U.S. dollar to then blow it out the bottom, start hitting new lows, and some Somewhere in here is going to be the big catalyst for gold then to really take off like a rocket. And as we know is that at some point the resource shares will get excited. And it's going to take a lot to get the, the shares excited right now, but I still believe that this day is coming. And always, uh, I'd like to say, sooner rather than later. It used to, you'd think, oh, there's going to be problems down the road, and, yada, yada, and it's going to be a while before we get this monster blow-off in gold and, and shares. Right now, we're in the middle of these problems. It's not five years from now. We're here. Anything could happen on any given day that's going to light this match under gold and send it blasting off. Just me personally, don't look at this as a long-term event, you know, years down the road. The party could get started here within our sector at any time. And so this is why I stay excited about this whole sector, even as dismal as it is right now. We've got just incredible upside opportunities here. When do the party hats come out, and how long is the party going to last, and will there be door prices? (laughs) Well, you know, on the door prizes, I'd like to think that all of us, investors in this sector, we're going to make so much money, we'll just say, keep your door prize. We don't even need it because we're going to be greatly rewarded just by being in this sector. I'm still looking, and I know we got savvy listeners that are reading articles all over the web, and everybody sees that there's a lot of people, you know, looking 2,500, 3,000 or more in gold, and a lot now are talking about even next year in 2013. So some of the guys that we're following, this is what they're looking at, possibly next summer. I mean, so now we're about a year away of maybe 2,500, 3,000 by their methods and calculations. Other ones, you know, a little bit further down the road, the four to 5,000. So if this happens, this is a long way from, say, 1,600 uh, as we speak. And at some point, the cash flow to all the companies, I mean, it's incredible today, but the shares are just all greatly underperforming. But at some point, all the, the smaller companies are really, really going to take off. Has the bottom in fact arrived here we're in the right season for this to happen right here in the, in the august time frame if gold is not already put in a bottom to be putting in a bottom very quickly and then get this party started again what are you going to do the next time the party starts what will you be doing with your positions what will you advise your subscribers to do well you know i always say we have to play not just the markets but life in general kind of day by day but we have to make real-time decisions again i'm looking out one year to 18 months i'm looking out to basically the january february 2014 
time horizon. This is a time horizon I've had in my mind for several years based on a lot of Fibonacci work and everything, and the stars are all aligning. So between next summer and that January, February 2014, if we're truly rocking and rolling, gold is spiking, you know, 3,000 and more, shares are going crazy. You have to think this is going to be a time at least to take some significant monies off of the table. Because one day, I think that maybe this resource game will be over, but you know, I see other people think, no, it's going to go on another five or ten years. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, especially those listening to us that are in the resource shares, you know that we've all lived through it. It's like we're learning that it's not in our best interest to think that we're long-term investors because the volatility is incredible. Gold goes back down a little bit, but shares will just plunge. And so we're back here at the depths of, of 2008 here as we speak, you know, with this market sentiment like it is. The next big rally, which is going to take us a little while to get there, but again, within my year to 18-month time horizon from right now, if we're right, I think we need to all be taking some serious money off the table. And you think about it, so why are we here? Why are we as investors? We're here to make money. And in order to make money, we've got to sell at some point. Nobody's ever going to wave the flag, and it's never going to be crystal clear. And the hardest thing in the world is to sell right into a serious rally. But we're all going to have to get smart and take some money off the table. And whether we leave a little bit of money for the future, we can always come back in, right? But to me, I always use the 80-20 rule. What would be wrong with, say, a year and a half from now, we're taking 80% out of the game. And the 20% could still be a big chunk. But if the markets roll back down again, we can always come back in and play this one more time. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has assets in the Yukon Territory as well as Nevada. Over 12.5 million ounces of gold have been produced from the Yukon since 1896, with a present-day worth of approximately $15.6 billion, and the territory is still relatively unexplored. Many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies. Expedition has recently begun its Joy and Mount Mervyn projects. These properties are located along the Rackland gold belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, ExpeditionMining.com. We're back. Dudley, what about those who aren't financially able to sit this market out and have to sell? We're seeing some of that selling going on right now, aren't we? Yeah, and that's a sad situation because I know there's individuals. I know I've got a few subscribers that have had some emails. And the positive tone, Dudley, I really hate to leave. I've got personal issues, you know. Maybe they've lost their job. You know, things have happened. And they just have got to cut back and they no longer have the monies to be investing. If they don't have the monies to invest, why do they need any newsletter service? So I fully appreciate that. I never like to lose a subscriber, but I like to think it's more from that standpoint, personal challenges. But no, there's a lot of sad stories out there. If you've got shares, and even if they're down significantly, if you don't need to sell, I mean, because now you're just going to get probably pretty much pennies for the dollar, preferably hang on, because I think the smaller companies are all going to go up substantially as we do get a significant rally. Yeah, you hate to think, but I know some people, you know, even though the shares are down significantly, they just have to come in and uh, still need some cash, and they're selling right here at the bottom, which is really a, a terrible position to be at. Well, Dudley, it's always great to speak with you. I look forward to our next conversation after we see how this week shakes out. Thanks for joining me today on the program. Okay, sounds great, Ellis. 
I've been speaking with Dudley Baker of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, EllisMartinReport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. You've just shared part of your life with the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals hand over cash to people like us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, kids, invest at your own risk. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 